Good evening. How are you talking? How are you sorry? <laughs> yeah. As you say, you should tell the people the reason that you are delayed is because Emma learned how to ride a bike. Oh yeah, my daughter learned how to ride a bike today. So that was pretty awesome. It's just been a busy Saturday. And um, yeah, now it's like midnight-ish. And I'm doing this and my wife is... Um, cooking things at midnight so it's all around kind of a weird time um, <laughs> but welcome to Pigeon Post my name's Michael and um, I thought before the scripture reading we would do some scripture reading so uh, I think it would be helpful it's always helpful for me to back up and read the last couple verses before reading the next chapter just so I don't lose the context or maybe something important that the author wants me to get. So if you back up two verses, it says um, in 546, Jesus is saying, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So Jesus is basically saying, don't claim to be believing the Old Testament if you're not going to believe me, because the Old Testament is about me. And he mentions Moses in particular. And then what Ben's about to read in verse 4, it says, Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. So there's a definite strong connection there to Moses. Um, and I referenced Second Corinthians, let's see, what is it, 3... 12 through 18. And I think I actually want to read um, some of the end of three and into four. Um, because I think it really speaks to this, uh, these couple of chapters. So now this is a letter of Paul, 2 Corinthians uh, 3.12. Probably I'll read through 4.6. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the grace of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I read that because that really explains a lot of what we're going to see happening, that there is a veil over people's hearts. Um, Jesus will explain that, and we'll talk about that more. But that the Spirit of the Lord um, brings freedom from that veil. Uh, be careful with that verse. That verse is often quoted out of context. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You see from the context means freedom to see the glory of the Lord, freedom to see the gospel. Um, it doesn't mean other things that it's often used for. And um, so that idea of God shining into the darkness to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we're going to see that some people are going to see that and some people aren't. So let's dive in to John 6. The Gospel of John, Chapter 6 After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, in number about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up, because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed 
about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. The next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Okay, so back here from uh, from the kitchen, 
broadcasting from the kitchen tonight. <laughs> I wanted to uh, make a note. I had listened back to the first part, and I misquoted, and I was reading right out of the Bible, Second uh, Corinthians 4.1, I said grace instead of mercy. So um, normally I don't sweat things like that too much when I'm in the car. But since I have a Bible right in front of me, I should get it right. So, um, Notice that the crowd was following Jesus because of the signs he was doing, right? And we saw like a foreshadowing of this back in John 4, where Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And uh, we know that there's nothing wrong with the signs. In fact, Jesus says in other places, at least believe on account of the signs. Um, I think it's in this gospel that he's going to say that, actually. Um, but what are the signs doing? The signs are supposed to show us who Jesus is. That's John's whole purpose. So they, the signs are pointing to the identity of the Son of God, and I think, well, I want to get into application, but just to kind of restate what's happened here, um, what, I've heard this story many times when I was in Sunday school, but I don't think I ever heard the aftermath of this story, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And, uh, but the aftermath is the most important part of the story, I think. It's kind of like this. Uh, if all of our stories about God, when we, when we tell stories about God, are about things that God has done for us, that's good. You know, God helped us pay the rent or that time that God healed um, that sickness or that time that God um, helped me get that job or those kind of things. But if those are the end of the stories, then I believe that we're missing something. I believe that this chapter could reveal something that's missing. Because is the story about how we got the job? Or is the story about how we got the job and became much closer to Christ by seeing his grace in giving us the job or in healing our child or something like that. Um, Jesus is not content that these people have followed him to get bread, <laughs> which is what it looks like is happening here. I mean, they kind of uh, pull a Dunkirk and uh, jump in these boats and go looking for Jesus. And he says, why are you working for food that perishes? Uh, work for food that, that will give you eternal life. And so I just ask, you know, why, why did you come to Christ? It's a big problem in American Christianity. Um, and I think we should all ask ourselves, why did we come to Christ? Did we come to Christ for Christ um, to be uh, with God? Or did we come to Christ for stuff? Because there's a lot of people, I think, that are being led astray, that are coming to Christ for feelings, coming to Christ for um, possible material gain um, that they would get. And um, that's, that's not just a problem, it's sad. I, I was listening to a different podcast, I won't say which podcast, where someone said, 
that they had this experience with God. They were looking back, and this was years ago in their life, probably 20 years ago. They had this experience with God, and then they said that they were trying to get back to that feeling. Now, do you think that that is what the Lord intends for us, to have an emotional experience with God and spend 20 years trying to match that or idealize that feeling? Um, I think that's very similar to what these people were doing and, and looking for another miracle of bread instead of realizing that Jesus himself was what they should be looking for. Um, contrast this with the Samaritan woman's response. When Jesus tells her who he is, she leaves her water jar. So Jesus uses a similar analogy saying that he will give her living water, but she realizes that he is the living water. So she doesn't even take her jar with her. And yet these people, Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and they still want the bread. They don't want the thing that's better than the bread. Um, they want the, um, the photocopy instead of the real thing. Um, also in the Samaritan story, I think uh, what's interesting, Jesus is using a lot of food analogies, and he, he tells the disciples, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And so that analogy, those things kind of bring forward these questions. Is, is sharing Christ more important than eating? Does it feel like food to us if, if we don't do it? Are we hungry for that? Um, and are we fulfilled when that happens? Jesus was fulfilled by sharing the truth with this lady. And then the lady, the Samaritan woman, um, she was dying of thirst, right? So Jesus puts aside his hunger in a physical sense to help someone who in a spiritual sense is dying from thirst. We, we have friends, if you're a Christian, I'm talking to you, we have friends and family who are dying of thirst who might not even realize it. We have to bring them the living water. And we might need to go without food in some sense um, to make that happen. So um, I rambled a little bit there, forgive me. Um, but the timer on the uh, thing my wife is cooking over there stopped me. <laughs> so now, uh, second part of John 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, continued. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. They were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. 
Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also, which I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you, that no one can come to me, unless it has been granted him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him.
So one of the beautiful things about reading through a book of the Bible is that you can't skip you can't skip anything. You can't skip around. And what happens is things become more and more clear as you keep having to confront which at what's actually in the text. It's actually in the Bible. Um I want to just note two things that are just undeniable, in my opinion, undeniably clear. And I hope that there's maybe some people listening to this who um, uh, don't know the Lord and that you're seeing Christ uh, maybe for the first time, according to Scripture. Maybe you haven't um, heard or read some of this before. I hope that you do come to know the Lord. And um, I'm sure there's some people that are listening to this who do know Christ. And I'm sure there's some people listening to this who um, are just kind of religious people. And uh, maybe some of these ideas are really challenging to you and it's making you think or reevaluate some things. Um, I know that I've been in all of those positions before in some in some form or fashion. Um, but the two things I want to note, I think for those of us who uh, maybe are not, um, we wouldn't call ourselves Christians. Let's just say that. Um, this thing that we call, or that theologians call the exclusivity of Christ, I think it's so clear. And I don't think there's a verse uh, that says this is the exclusivity of Christ or uses that phrase. But in all of these verses, Jesus is making it all about himself. Um, he says that it's the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Um, and that's just one verse. The whole thing... Um, is, is operating under this truth that there is no other way. And we're gonna, we are going to see Jesus come right out and say it. But he is already saying it. There is no other way to the Father. And think about some religions deny that God is a Father. Um, John is making it very clear that Jesus is the only way. And that offends our, our sensibilities just in our flesh or in the modern world. Nobody wants to hear that Jesus is the only way and that all other religions are damned. But that is the truth of Scripture. And um, whether you accept that or not, I, I just want you to see, I want you to accept it. I want you to, to come to Christ. But I also just want you to see that that is true Christianity. So that anyone who says, uh, that they are a Christian and thinks that um, that Muslims pray to the same God that Christians pray to. Um, they're just not being uh, truthful to Scripture. So they may want to call themselves Christians, but they're the opposite. Um, John says in one of his other letters that, that that's anti-Christ, basically. Um, 
So the other thing that I think jumps out that I think will possibly offend um, maybe people on the other side of the spectrum, people that are religious, is this idea that all we have to do is believe. And that is what Jesus is saying over and over and over again. And that is um, the teaching that comes forth really clearly as you read this, that we're saved by faith alone through grace alone, in Christ alone. We already covered the in Christ alone part. But um, this is why um, people write theology books, because when you read scripture, there are things that jump out so clearly over and over again that to not affirm those things is to call Jesus a liar. And Jesus is being very clear that we are saved not through works. In fact, they ask him, what works do we need to do? And he tells them, the work that you need to do is to believe on me. That's the work that you need to do. Um, and that the spirit gives life, the flesh is no help at all. So what this should do is humble us who, are, who have come to Christ, not, not make us proud that we um, know more, or know better, or anything like that, but that we see that the Father has drawn me. He didn't have to do that. Jesus has given me himself. He didn't have to do that. All of this is of grace. It's not of anything that we did, but it's the grace of God. And that, that opens up a lot of difficult questions for some of us, I know, because I've struggled with it. But I encourage you just to go ahead and struggle with it. It's there. Struggle with it. If God were just like us and never offended us, he's probably not God. It's probably just uh, a little idol or image of our own making. Um, the true God is going to offend human sensibilities. Um, that's part of what it means to be God. He says his ways are higher than ours and his thoughts are above ours. Um, so the other thing I don't want us to miss is the Passover analogy. Um, it says at the beginning of this, pa of this passage that it is the Passover. And so when Jesus says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he is taking up that analogy. He is the Passover lamb. And the Israelites ate the Passover lamb uh, right before they left Egypt. So um, I think it's pretty clear that that's what he's talking about there. And that if we kind of go off into... Um, um, some idea that we are actually eating his body and blood, then we're really not doing justice to the analogies that Jesus is using of food and uh, other things in John. When Jesus says, you must be born again, and Nicodemus says, I have to get back in my mother's womb. And Jesus is like, no, I'm talking spiritually. You know, when he talks to a Samaritan woman, um, or actually it might be the next chapter, but the, the part about living waters uh, flowing out of you, um, he's talking in a spiritual sense. And the same thing is true here. So um, just because the Jews misunderstood him, that is a pattern that we're seeing um, in John so far, is that he says something spiritual, and people are so blind that they misunderstand what he's saying. So um, Jesus isn't promoting any kind of cannibalism here, um, just in case uh, we're wondering about that. Um, and then... I keep saying this is the last part. <laughs> it's because I have my Bible open this time, so I keep I keep looking at the stuff that I underline. No, this is this is the last part. 
thank you, my wife, Kelly, chiming in. Um, she's been very encouraging to me, by the way. I appreciate her. This is kind of a sweet part, and that's why I want to mention it. Because at the end it says that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You know, it might seem like Jesus is kind of being a jerk or something like that. But remember that he's given the truth of the Father. But Jesus is not taking pleasure in the fact that people are walking away from him. In fact, he turns to the twelve um, those 12 of his inner circle says, are you going to leave as well? And really cool here, Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Um, those of you that are brothers and sisters in Christ, I just want to encourage you, there's going to be times like that for us when it's lonely, where else are you going to go but Jesus? I encourage you, don't go anywhere else but Jesus. He is the bread of life. And um, we'll see you next time in John 7.